0: Change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. We
1: this can. is the Santita oh, Jackson, Jackson Show.
0: War and hate to a place of love, it's not too late. Oh. Gotta save the children, we can't wait. Let's change the world.
2: Oh. I am breathing. Hey everybody, welcome, 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 welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Thursday January 12th, 2023. I do hope that you'll join me on Monday at the MLK breakfast of the Push Excel program from Rainbow Push. It's at the Marriott Marquis. Call 773 Freedom so that you can get a ticket there. We're almost out of them, and it's going to be great. You're going to have Cheryl Lee Ralph there. Of course, Judge Greg Mathis, who is co-chair of uh, the Push Excel program, along with Dr. Julian Malvo and a lot of other people. So you don't want to miss it. And we want to. We need your support so that we can continue to send these thousands of kids that we have been sending to college to school. And many of our success stories will be there as well. So you don't want to miss it. It's always a. Really uplifting, uplifting event. So let's get right to it, everybody. Today we've got Congresswoman Dalia Ramirez. I'm so excited; love her so much. She's doing so much on immigration, uh, on saving the family farm. I mean, the workers on the farm, but also the farmers themselves. Remember, that's what we do here in this part of the country. And so we will be talking with her, Dr. Max Wolf, about inflation. How is it that inflation? What is going on with it? What role does the Fed play? are the Fed? What is it? What is its role? How is it that they continue to hike interest rates? And, um, and they say, but it's going to spur unemployment, but that's going to help the economy. How does it help the economy for less people, fewer people to be employed? Hmm. Then the latest on Ukraine with Dr. David Gibbs. Republicans are taking a hard turn away from Funding at least giving just lots and lots and lots of money to Ukraine, um, what does that mean? Where does that come from and um We'll just talk about it. Gotta talk about it. I want to hear from you at 773 763 9278, 773 763 WCPT. We're gonna ask Dr. Shanina Knighton about tap water. There's some interesting information about tap water today that came out. I saw it on CNN. Mm, Might not be as safe as we think it is. It ought to be, but it's infrastructure, everybody in the United States. Let's get right to it. I want you to meet my morning stars here on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and am 950 radio the voice of progressive minnesota but they are on youtube the santita jackson show youtube channel everybody like and subscribe there and go to the santita jackson and friends page and please become my friend there want to continue to get those numbers up, but I want to thank you for working with me over the past few years and months and months. You all have really been working at it, and tell everybody you can about the show. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 38 degrees and cloudy, and it is foggy also. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 25 degrees and cloudy. In the NBA, the Pistons, 135, the Timberwolves, 118, the Wizards, 100, and the Bulls, 97. Better luck next time, Chicago and Minnesota. The NFL, Well, they had a quiet night last night, but they will be playing tonight. Damar Hamlin is out of the hospital. Will he return to football? Well, we will see. What about his financial health? We're going to continue to talk about that in future shows. In the NHL, the Wild at the New York Islanders. And the Avalanche are coming here to play Chicago's team. When you fill up your coffee machine or humidifiers, tap water your choice. Naturally, many of us question how sterile our tap water is. So let's talk about that, everybody, with Dr. Shanina Knighton. Tap water is generally harmless, but we've got some infrastructure problems. How can we be sure? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes with Dr. Shanita Knighton. President Joe Biden's legal team found another batch of classified government records following the initial discovery of classified documents at his former think tank in Washington, D.C. with the University of Pennsylvania. This past fall, mm, happened just before the midterms, people briefed on the matter, told CNN on Wednesday. The initial batch of documents contained 10 classified documents, including U.S. intelligence materials and briefing memos about Ukraine, Iran and the UK. Some of the classified documents were top secret, the highest level. It is unclear at this time how many documents were in the second batch or what the documents were about. We will see. The Biden administration on Wednesday again renewed the COVID-19 public health emergency, a provision that gives the administration the authority to respond to the pandemic as cases are again on the rise. The public health emergency gives the federal government wide-ranging authority over a number of COVID-19 related areas, including death tracking and allowing pharmacists rather than physicians to administer the COVID-19 vaccine. The White House on Wednesday asserted that President Biden does not support a ban on gas stoves after a federal consumer safety official suggested that such a proposal was on the table. What? The federal government isn't going to take away your gas stove, a top consumer regulator told CNN. Well, I hope not. Congress is under pressure to take major steps to rein in big tech companies. President Biden has called on lawmakers to set aside partisan differences and pass groundbreaking legislation focused on improving digital privacy and increasing tech industry oversight. Soaring school lunch debt shows a need for universal free meals. Congress initially responded to this problem during the COVID 19 pandemic, uh, providing free breakfast and lunch to all 50 million children. But Republicans blocked the continuation of the program last summer. Well, last June, Congress passed a Keep, Kid, Keep Kids Fed Act, a bipartisan compromise legislation that increased federal reimbursement ba- rates for the national school lunch program every by, by 40 cents and the school breakfast program by 15 cents for this year. However, only a quarter... Of the 1,230 districts that responded to this survey said those levels were sufficient, and 99.2% of them have moderate or serious concerns about the raised rates expiring. No one should be hungry in America, and we're so pleased that Pastor Darius Brooks... And Grace Central Church are doing all that they can to feed the hungry, to feed the hungry. How can we get food if we need it at Grace Central Church, Pastor Brooks, before you give us the good news very quickly?
1: Good morning, San The Grace Central Church, one oh two sixteen South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from five till seven. And for seniors, every Wednesday from noon till two. That's every Tuesday from five till seven. You can come to Grace Central and I'll care you. You don't need, need nothing, just get that. And we got you. And on Wednesdays, we do the seniors from noon to two. And we give food, eggs is $10. We give food, y'all, the real deal. Two and $300 worth of food every week to each person. Santita, I love you. I missed you last week. And I love your sentiments <laughs> in the beginning. When you say, let the words of my mouth girl, That thing told me up this morning because it's so important, which is why every beginning of your show, you bring the good news and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. In Thy, thy sight, sight. O oh, Lord, my, yes, sir. my our strength in our my Redeemer. redeemer. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, good news. Yes. Proverbs, Proverbs eleven and one: A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Santita, listen to me this morning because I'm so happy I could just run out of here with good news and foundation to how we do this thing straight without some doubts. Santita is like a human body without antibodies and the people who literally go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe what they believe will find themselves defenseless against how to do this either in or with an experience of tragedy or the probing question questions of skepticism when it comes to us as a person or as people did you hear what I said a person of faith can collapse almost overnight if they don't fail or if they have failed over the years to really comprehend why do we believe what we believe why are we doing what we're doing when it comes to this God thing and listen patiently first for themselves then to themselves for answers and then go to the one they believe who directs them as believers in all areas, which is God's word before anything is discarded after long reflection. Santi, the doubt should be a part of our faith. Without it, we simply accept anything as a factual truth, not thinking for ourselves. Santita, yes, God. Are you balanced? Darius, yes, God. Are you balanced? Is there something heavy on your heart, like for real, for real? What you're thinking about right now, today, this Thursday? that's just weighing you down. Here we go. What's on your heart and your head for real, people of God? God's word calls them these things or these thoughts in Romans eight thirty one. Check the God's entity: tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I mean, y'all, are, there is books. Look at this stuff for real. and I not use it in my dasha and Deborah everyday life in great central life. I've used this stuff. Wait a minute. Death, life, angels, principalities, people with power, our past, our present, our future, height, depth anything calls these things. If these are your worries, don't you talk about no one else and how they're living their life and how they are doing what they're doing because God wants you to be free. Because when it comes to you and how you be God, this information is abomination. It's an abomination. I'm closing. But it's a just way is his delight. But a just way is his delight. In other words Knowing God's word and trusting in that, either at the end of the day, people of God is knowing when the whole and knowing when the fold in our real lives. God loves this, and when we're dealing with these things, that we fold them up and give them to Him. Do you know how you fold clothes? And you put the dirty in with the dirty one, and the clean. One's the clean one? Mm. <laughs>
2: Oh my the word
1: goodness God says, do this in life put the heavy stuff with God and and take put the unhealthy stuff over there give it to God and the healthy stuff use it. Put these things where they belong, in God's hand, and do what his word says, and do about it. He loves this about you and me. And you can't save the world if you don't save yourself. Reverend Jackson said, when one of us falls, we all fall. So somebody got to make sense out of this. Don't carry heavy weight.
2: Mm, I have a question for you. Um, as
1: yes. you go. Know, uh,
2: what about, well, A, how can we get food from you? Which is going to lead me
1: to my question to you. Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, right off of 290 in Mannheim. It's not way out in the suburbs. The 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. GraceCentral.net. Grace, G R A C E, Central.net. Every Tuesday from five to seven and every Wednesday from two to noon for the same years.
2: OK, you know, I have a question for you. We during covid, you know, at the height of the mm-hmm. pandemic and we're seeing cases on the rise again. So the president is now instituting measures uh, that will help us to deal with that. Uh But we're seeing that a lot of extraordinary measures that were taken to ensure that all of America's children be fed in school, that the monies were pulled and now they're being put back in. Do you see hungry children during the weekend, particularly on the weekends when there is no school?
1: Do I see hungry children? Mm Mm-hmm absolutely and not just children Santita you'd be surprised if you think education is expensive you should try ignorance it's not just children it's families it's people working jobs trying to make ends and look at each other let alone me. absolutely at the end of the day yes children and adults and people they are literally and figuratively hungry Santita last week at Great Central I had to have almost 50 people as volunteers when I tell you the cars were so around the block that my daughter called on the way to help us, Santita, saying, Daddy, I can't get to the church.
0: I said, you? No, what are you talking about?
1: She says, every corner is blocked, Santita. They was all facing grace, central church. So to answer your question, absolutely, and please don't put nobody in the box for food and whoever's under my voice, God did not call us to save the world. We have to say as individuals, one person at a time. You said it earlier, Centina. Grace Central doing our part and we not stopping. We're doing it one hundred percent. And if everybody joined in and just did their part, not necessarily to depend on the government, but the one each one or each one, that's a real statement. Push and your dad and y'all been doing this all the time, as quiet as things been kept, and how crazy things are about Rainbow Push Coalition. At the end of the day, wait till you hear the whole story. The people's lives they have changed. So from education to politics to school to colleges to feeding all the hungry rainbow push. What? To have a silly rabbit on uh, for kids. They are doing it over there and been doing it all these years. If we just do our little part and not necessarily worry about that, we're going to get this thing done. Because Santita like your morning show. Everybody's not designed to hear your morning show. But Santita, those that tune in. They're going to get crazy blessings. So to answer your question, everybody, the word of God says, if I be lifted, I draw all men. Now, to me, this world is hungry, not just for food, for the living bread. Do our part. And just wherever we are right now, make it do what it do in little ways. I'm about to burn, because, you know, this is one of my, your songs and mine. Little becomes much when you place, you place
2: it. it in the master's hands. Oh, no, but, yeah, but, you know, but I had to ask you that, because... Mm-hmm. Um, as we're going to talk with Dr. Max Wolf later on in the show today, I mean the fact is, our our children. I said, "Wait a minute, we we are in a lot of pain here. We're yes. not getting. Uh, we do. We don't have the food. We, we don't have the food. We don't have it. And so I just, just I'm it. just looking to find out, you know, what you're seeing every day. Oh, yes. And every day, because I know it pushed, people come by looking for something to eat. People are hungry. And so as we look at our budgetary priorities, we've got to look at hunger. We call it food insecurity, hungry, hungry. People are hungry out here. People are going to work hungry. We're throwing out food in restaurants, hungry. That is, there has got to be something that we can do to feed the hungry. One day it just might be you. Mm -hmm. Or someone you love. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you're seeing people, and I, you know, we're going to get Dr. Knighton on tomorrow. You're seeing people who
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: ordinarily don't need the help. At least that's what they tell you. I've gotten in more Ubers nice Mercedes Benzes, nice Lexuses, nice... Wow. Lost my job. But you know what? I'm like, in, th- in life, things can happen. Mrs. Clay Evans, Mrs. Luther Mae Evans, used to say, she used to remind us when we were children, and all throughout our lives. I'm so glad I had those, those wonderful people as my spiritual grandparents, really. You know where you've been. You don't know where you're going. Yep. You have no idea what life has in store for you. The highs, (laughs) the lows, the crazy turnarounds, you have no idea. So we've got to do something about hunger in America. Very quickly, what can we do to help you with your ministry? I mean, are you taking, do you need donations? I mean, what's, talk to us.
1: Oh, absolutely oh my goodness and, and everything we do we pay for a the food pantry at Grace Central Church I, I honestly not from a, a genuine transparent place I don't play games I'm not a gimmick kind of person but we had to purchase a conveyor belt we got vests for the security guys we have the cones that light up because it gets dark early because I wanted our situation <laughs> to run excellent God says do things all things decently in order so absolutely you could send any donations and if y'all just go to our website you can see everything we're doing literally right there we put up tents when it's raining and when it's cold we're doing a build out right now so greatcentral.net uh, info at gracecentral.net you can do, do uh, a cash app dollar sign at Grace Central Church dollar sign Grace Central Church and any amount really any amount will help us and I'd love to know that if you send it from this program at Santita's morning show let me know that's what it's from because we're marketing her show on our Sunday morning service as well all during the week we we got to celebrate each other. That's how we do it. Indeed, we, we, where there's unity, there is strength. So Grace Central Church, GraceCentral.net, dollar sign, Grace Central Church, info at GraceCentral.net, PayPal. You can send all of that information uh, at Grace Central Church. You can also call us, 708-344-5020. Sandy, uh, I'll go get it. Yes, always
2: sir. let open and close with that, always. Because I okay. support ministries that do God's work okay. and do it. Do what Jesus would want us to do. And whatever your religious affiliation, or if you don't have one, just be good to people. My mother, every time I see her, before I leave, she says, make sure you're a good person. Coming up, we're going to be talking about Ukraine. Sydney, you so much love, Pastor Darius Brooks. Grace Central, everybody. Please go over there and give them a contribution. Please, please. And I'll see you at the breakfast, the MLK breakfast, on Monday. Cheryl Lee Ralph. Judge Greg Mathis and so many others will be at that breakfast, and I hope that you will too. Call 773 Freedom, 773 Freedom before the tickets run out. Everybody, call us at 773 763 9278. What about the Republicans? And they said no more free funding to Ukraine. We're just not going to give you all this money. We just, we're not going to do it. We don't have it. What do you think about that? Dr. David Gibbs. Is going to talk with us about that and what is the path to peace, everybody. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. We
0: can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world,
1: we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: everybody welcome 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 to the santita jackson show on wcpt 820 the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and am 950 radio the voice of progressive minnesota in minneapolis st paul it's a joy to be with you today i want you to meet my morning stars on the santita jackson show youtube channel everybody please get over there and like and subscribe and then go to the santita jackson and friends facebook page that is the only page where i can accept Everybody goes to Santita Jackson. Please don't go there. It's a landing page. You just have to have it. But uh, it's kicking people off. It's been doing that for years because you have a 5,000-person limit. Please, everybody, migrate over to the Santita Jackson and Friends page. That's why I named it Santita Jackson and Friends. There you go. So uh, we're going to talk about the Republicans and their pushback against future aid to Ukraine. They praised President Zelensky, but they said, no, we're we're not going to just give you this aid. So what do you think about that? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. It puts, it's like we flipped the script. Many people are now saying that the Democrats are the war party and uh, the Republicans are the party that want peace. Ooh. You know, it's just it's just it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. We're going to be talking with Dr. David Gibbs of the University of Arizona in a hot second. But first up, Shapiro, what's going on with this? Uh, You've got the Super Bowl. You've got Valentine's Day celebrations by us. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we do, Santita, and we are
4: taking orders for both. Uh, we are doing our uh, hors d'oeuvres for the Super Bowl. We're doing meatballs, sliders, as well as our wings. We have our honey barbecue wings, our buffalo wings, teriyaki, garlic parmesan, whatever it is that you need for your Super Bowl party. Don't hesitate to get to the call, 708-526-4546. We're also taking orders for Valentine's Day for the uh, floor
0: arrangements that we do. We can deliver fresh flowers to your loved one. So give us a call at 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita.
2: You are very welcome. Hey, everybody, let's talk about Ukraine. It is, that's something that's high on the Republicans' agenda, and investigations and things like that, and abolishing the IRS. Uh, will that make it in the Senate? No, but the, something is in the air, everybody. Something's in the air. Something's in the air. They want to establish sales taxes and so forth and so on. We haven't always had an IRS. That happened about the same time we got the Federal Reserve. So there's there's a lot that's in the air, and we need to talk about it. But right now, so let's talk about Ukraine. We've spent tens of billions... Of dollars on Ukraine. And what's the end game? Is there a path to peace? Mm. But first, why are the Republicans pushing back? And Democrats are saying you're supporting putin if you if you push back against giving more American tax dollars to the Ukraine war effort. Well, call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Dr. David Gibbs, Happy New Year. It's wonderful hearing your voice this morning.
5: Uh, hello, good to be on, uh, Santito.
2: Oh, you know, it's Ukraine just stays in the news. It stays in the news. I was reading an article in which... Uh, Politico. They said, you know, the Republicans have praised President Zelensky. He received a s- several standing ovations when he spoke before the U.S. Congress and was brought into the United States on a, milit- on a U.S. military transport plane. So it's very clear that the American government supports Ukraine, and the American people are sympathetic. But the American people have increasingly questioned all of the money that we're pouring into that war effort. And so now Republicans have come in and they've said, you will no longer get a blank check. Explain what's going on here. Because you've got the Democrats oh, yeah. saying, we've got we, to give them as much money as they can, even over and above what they ask for. And the Republicans are saying, no, no, that's not going to work.
0: Well, I think, you know,
2: there certainly
5: is a general sympathy for the Ukrainian people uh, in that, uh, you know, I think it's generally acknowledged that the Russian invasion was an illegal act. Uh, They certainly had no justification or no legitimate justification for invading. And I think um, there's there's agreement on that. Uh, The question is how the United States should respond. And it seems that the entire function of U.S. policy uh, is to achieve some kind of military victory over Russia, uh, to defeat Russia and Ukraine. And, um, you know, how that's going to happen is very vague, and what the precise end game is is very vague. What defeat would even look like is very vague, but sort of an outright defeat of Russia without negotiations does seem to be on the agenda. The negotiations have been proposed, have been quickly slapped down, And the only real opposition to this policy of massive U.S. support for defeating Russia at the moment seems to be from the Republican Party, uh, from uh, a minority of the Republican Party. There's not um, the mainstream of the Republican Party as yet, but places like the Freedom Caucus have been demanding uh, reductions or elimination of uh, U.S. military support for Ukraine. the people who normally are thought of as being on the far right, in most respects are on the far right, people like Matt Gates, for example, or um, in Bobart, to some extent, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, have been at the forefront of basically trying to curtail or eliminate U.S. military involvement in the war in Ukraine. And that's a historic change. Uh, that's a dramatic change ideologically in that traditionally anti-war positions have been on the left. Now you're seeing them almost exclusively on the right.
2: What is inspiring that? What's behind the flip?
5: That's a good question. Uh, That's that's a very large question. I I see that. I think since the 90s, um, there's been a um, liberal and to some extent left-wing fascination with the idea of sort of humanitarianism as a purpose for U.S. foreign policy, that U.S. foreign policy can achieve humanitarian objectives to protect human rights and so on. I think that's very naive personally, and I think war is a terrible way to promote human rights. But nevertheless, this has been a very widespread view, often accompanied by very sort of morally self-righteous, frequently intolerant language that despises any kind of debate or reasoned discussion, Uh, often accompanied by sort of the hurling of insults against those who disagree. And we're seeing it now, of course, that those who disagree with the policy are attacked as being, um, you know, um, dupes of Vladimir Putin. There's also a historic reversal, by the way, that, it, you know, this is a kind of mode of argument of accuse, accusing dissenters of being traitors, um, associating dissent with treason. This has always been associated with the far right of the Republican Party, people like Joseph McCarthy, J. Edgar Hoover. But now we're seeing it... Um, Uh, you know, among liberals and to some extent, uh, you know, the squad, members of the squad. um, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, I believe, has used language like that at times um, that has been historically associated with the far right of the Republican Party. So the very definitions of left and right are being scrambled on this issue. On the right, I think one of the things you've had is, um, you know, there's a certain, first it started out with libertarians that, Um, They began viewing the military budget as a kind of big government boondoggle, a waste of taxpayer money, and, um, you know, a need to rein in spending and, uh, you know, cut taxes. Uh, Cutting the military has been seen as integral to that objective. And it seems to have um, increasingly used the kind of language that historically has been associated with the left. You see many libertarians associated, for example, with the Cato Institute making anti-military um, anti-interventionist arguments that historically have been associated with the far left. And again, you're seeing a real scrambling of ideological categories here that almost suggest some kind of political
6: realignment going on.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I'm trying to figure out the political realignment. Uh, because people, yeah. you know, as, as you and I have discussed, off mm-hmm. air, uh, just as this conflict began, uh, calling for peace... Uh, was a very unpopular thing to do, and exploring right. all sides of this was a very unpopular thing to do. I felt it was the right thing to do, so I was going to stick with it, and that's just yeah. that's just it. You know, I get it, <laughs> but I've just got I've got to stick with with my principles too. That having right. been said, um, I'm trying to figure out where we are now, because now yeah. the Democrats, at least on this issue, are hawking. They're hawks. Yep. And I'm not, I can't call. Well, you know, hawks and doves. If we're going to keep the metaphor, and I'll, and you've got yep. the Republicans who are the doves, um, but you have Republicans and Democrats who support the military-industrial complex, just generally speaking. Oh, I'm yes. trying to get to the story behind the story. <laughs> you know, why would why right. would why would the Republicans push back on? On Ukraine, I mean, it's not like yeah. they're trying to fund social service programs that get that would keep no, people fed. No. I mean, no, do not. Um, yeah,
5: that, that's quite true. I think it's the general Republican tendency is to want to reduce government spending and reduce taxes to quote you know you know get the government off our backs to use their language, um, and um, you know the Republicans haven't really changed their position in terms of favoring. Things like wealth concentration, favoring policies that strongly advance the interests of the rich, that that hasn't changed as far as I can tell, at least not significantly. Um, uh, What has changed is the way they want to achieve that, and they they do seem to see militarism as an impediment to reducing taxes and reducing government programs. Uh, They see uh, the military-industrial complex as just another wasteful government program. And, um, you know, from my standpoint, I think intelligent leftists should see that as a point of common ground and make strategic Mm -hmm. alliances with Republicans on specific issues. That doesn't mean you have to love Republicans or trust them. But it does mean that, you know, in politics you make alliances. And um, I think
2: what's wrong with that? that. Dr. Gibbs, what is wrong with that? I mean, someone was a little bothered when I was telling them about, and thank you for your congratulatory note about my brother going to Congress. Second one. And um, he has, you know, he said, I, I noticed that he sat on the aisle. That he sits on the aisle. He said, yeah. He said, and I walked over to Matt Gates. I introduced myself to him. I walked over to Miss, what, Bobert, and I introduced myself to her and Marjorie Taylor Mm. Green and Mm. on and on and on. And he said, and I ended up meeting a gentleman who's a physician from the southern Indiana where Kentucky, Illinois, and Indiana meet. And as they talked, he said, you know, let me tell you what my passion is. My brother said, well, what is that? He said, prostate cancer. He said, and he said, and Congressman, it is wiping black men out. Mm-hmm. So we work together. Doesn't mm. mean they're going to work together on everything else. But who yeah, knows?
6: Right.
2: What's, I mean, that's, right. that, that's what that's what this is. And I'm saying on these, how much money have we spent on this? I mean,
5: <laughs> on, you, on Ukraine? On Ukraine?
2: On Ukraine.
5: About a hundred billion, I believe is the figure I've seen. It's in the range of a hundred billion
2: oh my gosh I mean they keep trying yeah. to chop that figure up because I've read that but then they said no yeah. it's really 40 I'm like no 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 no, I can count y'all <laughs> yeah,
5: <laughs> and I know President Zelensky has called the president
2: reading him the riot act because you're not giving me enough money and weapons what is yeah. going on here
5: right right well I think that's only the beginning bear in mind the war hasn't even gone on for a full year yet and so this is only the beginning uh, and there will be undoubtedly expectation when the war ends whatever that is, uh, there'll be expectation of the U.S. to fund the rebuilding of Ukraine. That could go into—I wouldn't be surprised if that's—it's in the trillions of dollars. Uh, you know, the Iraq War. Um, I think the figure for the Iraq War was four to six trillion dollars. I wouldn't be surprised if, in the end, the Ukraine War costs more than that. Four to six trillion is a lot of money. Uh, that's a very large percentage of U.S. GDP. And again, you wonder what kind of wonderful things we could have done with four to six trillion dollars. And we spent nothing, really, in Iraq. Um, and we could be doing that again on an even larger scale. And I'm just very surprised that people in the squad are so willing to go along with this uh, and not criticize it. It seems very contradictory to their aims of improving social programs. You can't have it both ways. You can't Mm-mm. spend money on the military and on social programs, at least not fully. Uh, one, At some point, the money is going to be drained away from improving people's living standards, and that is what is happening here. We need to be Mm frank
2: about that. Dr. King said it. He said it would lead us to spiritual death if our military spending out distanced our spending on programs of social uplift. He said that. He said it, and and, and that's where we are. Um, I'm going to go to Dynamo Dave, but I also want to go through some of the comments from the Morning Stars, and I'd like for you to speak to them as well. Welcome, Dynamo Dave. Happy
0: New Year. Happy, happy New Year to you <laughs> in the uh, sunshine of Illinois, Santina Jackson. Thank hey, you, um, my sweet. Oh, thank, thank you so much for having Dr. Gibbs on your show. He has such excellent insights. And there's just a thank couple you. points I want to make. Um, and one is, well, of course, remember uh, General President Eisenhower warned of the military-industrial complex. They've added the media complex to that, because back, you know, during that, that Iraq war, they fired all those uh, people who were liberals or anti-war, like Bill Donahue, and just mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yes. And then um, one other, oh, a couple other things. Um, that Matt gets and that, that group or whatever, these Republicans, they're just polarity responders. You know, in psychology, there's people who, when I say yes, you say no, or whatever. When I say no, you say yes. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to get the Democrats vote. I mean, I'd like to be able to trust them, but I don't know. Um, and, um, The other part of that is, you remember when they did that last Congress, they passed the bill, you know, for the defense spending, and guess what? They passed more money than what the Pentagon even asked for. (laughs) There's something wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then that was was Republicans voting for that, because they know who they're, who's who's putting butter on their bread. (laughs) And then... Um, so, anyway, as much as I'd like to do the whole alliance thing with these these uh, these people that are, these Republicans that oppose the Ukraine war, um, it's like you gotta watch. You just, I, I don't know if that's, I, it's, I guess it's worth a try, but.
2: Well, I, you know, because that's politics, Dynamo Dave. Baby, that's politics. Politics. You know what do they say? It makes strange bedfellows? It's politics. And people, they cut deals to pass bills every single day that they pass them. You get a little bit of this. I'll get a little bit of that. That's just that's how it works. It's not about love and trust. This ain't, this ain't a date. It's a destination. Right. Take your love out of it. I'm telling you. <laughs> what love got? Loving this is not what this is about. This is this is about something else. This is about resources. Divvying them up. Yeah, and that's, that's all that this is about.
0: Right, I
5: you
2: know. But let me let me let Doctor Gibbs respond to you,
6: Doctor Gibbs. Well, yeah, you know, I,
5: I completely agree about uh, you know the need to set aside whatever. You know uh, predispositions you have, to simply work with people. Who want to work with you, whether they be Republicans or not. That's that's vitally important. I think people are a little bit too again. There's a ton of self righteousness I think that gets in the way of outcomes. What you want is outcome. What you want is a good outcome. Um, I think one more thing. I think you know your um, your caller alluded to um, you know an incident I believe when um, several months ago that uh, Biden proposed thirty three billion dollars to Ukraine, and Congress upped it to forty billion. It was passed all uh, the Democrats, including the squad, 40 billion, seven billion more that would have asked them that's an extraordinary event that I can never think of in history, certainly in my lifetime, when you know money would ask for let's say social programs for schools or for healthcare. and for health uh, care. And you know Congress said that that's not good enough. We want to increase it. We want more than the president and, and asked I never heard of that happening on a social program, but on military, it seems, there's always a willingness. There's always enough money. No one ever says we don't have enough money, and it's really quite extraordinary. how willing, the squad was to go along with that and not to mm-hmm. criticize it. And it, uh, I, I found that I found that very distressing. Um, that um, that this happened.
2: Well, you know, well, why do you think they went along with it? Um, I think that there is a. Um, a number of
5: reasons. I think very few people know very much about Ukraine or about the expansion of NATO. There's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of censoring of information on this. The reporting on this is the worst I've seen in any war. In my life, had worse than during the war on terror. So a lack of information, I think, is part of the problem. I think there's fear. I, I think uh, I suspect there are Democrats who would like to dissent, but they're fearful of being sort of hounded out of the party. I think that there's a uh, a certain group think going on that tends to squelch dissent. I think there's this fear of being called, um, you know, a dupe of Vladimir Putin, the McCarthyism that's going on. I think it's had its effect. So I think all of these things have contributed to an atmosphere where uh, open discussion is um, discouraged. And that's a very unhealthy situation. Uh, that, that, that That's... Um, you know, it's one of endless war, and possibly, yeah, and we've discussed this on, on the air before, nuclear war is a very real possibility here as well. Um, so I see this as a very um, um, negative atmosphere, one that really does not allow for rational discussion and debate.
2: I mean, it is it is unbelievable. Renee Criswell wants to know if you see a connection between the documents that they found, uh, or or that President Biden mm. President Biden's lawyers found, uh, the top mm. secret documents of from UK, Ukraine, and mm. Iran, and mm. the war. It's a good question. You know, I actually
5: haven't had a chance to really look at that issue very carefully. I uh, I'm very interested whenever there is, uh, you know, documents turn up in public places. That is always interesting to me. But I haven't had a chance to look at the yet so I can't really comment.
2: OK, and another one of our listeners wants to know about rewarding of negotiating with a home invader. That's what they're saying.
5: I'm not sure what that means. What, home invader? What, what, well,
2: what? you know, they say that, you know, Putin was wrong. He invaded. Yes. Uh, yes. He invaded this country illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, although, quite it. frankly, there's been a whole lot of horse trading, quite frankly, back and mm-hmm. forth, forth and back, yes. just down through the years. Um, with, I mean, they've been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ukraine. Well, you
6: know, it,
5: it, I, uh, you certainly... It's right to condemn the invasion because the, the invasion certainly was wrong no matter what the circumstances. But I think that, um, you know, what's left out of this is there was an enormous amount of this was an avoidable event. And the United States played a lot of role in making it po- a big role in making it possible. The expansion of NATO was something that, uh, you know, experts, leading academics, diplomats, um, top figures and um you know, the history of the Cold War War and this would lead to war as, as far back as the 1990s. George F. Kennan, one of the architects of the Cold War, had warned that the expansion of NATO was going to provoke Russia and lead to a very bad outcome. American officials knew what they were doing when they were expanding NATO. They knew all the way up to February, uh, just before the invasion, that this was going to lead to war, and they did it anyway. And so, American officials have a great deal of, of guilt, in my view, in, in making this war possible and continuing it. There was a peace negotiation in Istanbul that almost produced an agreement um, that would have, you know, that 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 Zelensky was about to sign uh, that would have ended the war. And then, uh, you know, Boris Johnson appeared in Kiev, no doubt with U.S. support, and pretty much insisted that. Um, that ukraine not signed i think the phrasing he used was something like uh, you may be ready for peace but we are not meaning we meaning nato and, and the united states and, and britain are not ready for peace and it led to the collapse of the agreement and the escalation of the war um and so um you know the united states and its allies bear a lot of responsibility in this uh you know there are other escalatory acts i think the blowing up of the nord stream two pipelines um Um, You know, almost certainly Russia didn't do it, and it's highly likely that the most likely culprit is the United States and its allies. I mean, somebody blew up that pipeline. And the Washington Post just had a story that they found no evidence so far of Russia blowing it up. And it makes no sense they would blow it up because it was their pipeline. Uh, The most likely scenario is the U.S. blew up that pipeline, and that's a pretty serious act. So America, um, as much as we condemn the Russian invasion, and we should... Uh, we should not overlook America's role in making the invasion possible and then escalating the war and making the war worse and worse, which is what's going on right now.
2: Hmm. How do we get out of this? I've got less than a minute. Um, you know, I'd like to see some kind of compromise
5: agreement. Um, Unfortunately, I think um, most likely it's going to be settled on the battlefield because I think the most likely scenario is Russia... um, Thinks that they can win this, and so I think at this point they've been up on negotiations. They, from their standpoint, you know, they they well, tried negotiation and it didn't work, and they think they can win on the battlefield. And I think unfortunately, that's where this may be headed to some kind of you know military uh, showdown uh, with disastrous consequences. I just hope it doesn't lead to nuclear war.
0: Hmm.
2: Everybody, peace is possible. Peace is possible. We're the ones who have to make it so. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. Congresswoman Dalia Ramirez, the first Latina representing um, a Midwestern state in our nation's history. Cannot wait to speak with her as she talks about immigration and the family farmer, everybody, and what she hopes to amplify the issues that she will be amplifying on the Hill. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Everybody, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Thursday, January twelfth, twenty twenty-three. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota, have a couple of big events coming up. January 26th, we will be hosting WCPT, will be hosting the Mayoral Debate. You don't want to miss it. The candidates will be there and you should too. And if you're not able to be physically present, you can catch us on all of our platforms. June Joan Esposito, San and Tita Jackson, Patty Vasquez. We will be the moderators. You don't want to miss it on January 26th and on Monday, the Martin Luther King Holiday. Of course, his actual birthday is on the twenty is on the fifteenth. But we will be having our Push Excel breakfast from Rainbow Push. Judge Greg Mathis, Emmy Award winning Cheryl Lee Ralph, and others will be there. You should be too. We send thousands of kids to school. Every single year. And this breakfast is one of the ways that we make that happen. And so we need you. We need your support. We need you there. Call us at 773-FREEDOM, 773-FREEDOM. You don't want to miss being at the MLK Breakfast at the Marriott Marquis. It's going to be a stellar event and we have a lot of fun there too. We really, really do. It's a fantastic event. So we are going to be making a hard pivot to Congresswoman Dalia Ramirez, the first Latina elected to the US House of Representatives in the history of this country from the Midwest. We are so excited that she is with us today, so excited. And uh, we'll be coming back up on StreamYard, everybody, in just a few minutes. And I'm going to run through a couple of these headlines so that we can speak with her today. And you know we're going to do the Hawkburg read at 730, okay, board operator? That's what we're going to do. Uh, today we have a high of 36 degrees, excuse me, 38 degrees in Chicago. It is cloudy. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 25 degrees, cloudy. In the NBA, the Pistons 135, the Timberwolves 118, the Wizards 100, Chicago 97. Damar Hamlin is out of the hospital. Yes, we will have Thursday night football, but everyone has damar Hamlin on their minds. In the NHL, the Wild will be playing the New York Islanders, and the Avalanche will be meeting Chicago tonight. Uh, President Biden... T- Legal team found another batch of classified government records following the initial discovery of classified documents at his former think tank office in Washington this past fall. People briefed on the matter, told CNN yesterday. The initial batch of documents discovered contained 10 classified documents, including U.S. intelligence on Ukraine, Iran, and the U.K., classified at the top secret or highest level. The Biden administration on Wednesday again renewed the COVID-19 public health emergency, a provision that gives the administration the authority to respond to the pandemic as cases are again on the rise. Be careful, everybody. Hand hygiene, Dr. Shanina Knighton tells us, is key. The White House on Wednesday asserted that President Biden does not support a ban on gas stoves after a federal consumer safety official suggested that such a proposal was on the table. Out before we go to the congresswoman, I have got Rick who wants to give us a comment on the military-industrial complex. What's on your mind, my dear?
6: Hi, Santita. Good morning. Yeah, uh, what good I morning. wanted to say was this. Hi, hi, everybody in Chicago. I love you. I miss Chicago so much. Hopefully, I'll be back soon. Oh, anyway, yeah. what I wanted to say, <laughs> what I wanted to say was this: just like we need to get profit out of health care and make it about prevention and good health. We need to get the profit out of war and Mm -hmm. we need to figure out how we're going to get rid or reduce the military industrial complex that we've been warned about a generation ago by Eisenhower, I believe it was. And because unfortunately it's the corporations and their lobbyists that have the ear of our politicians. And if they can get us involved in this, and raise prices like they've been doing already and blaming it on the attack in Ukraine from our oil to everything else Mm -hmm. there are going to be that when you said that how are we going to get out of this situation this is one of the things that um, isn't part of my solution
2: Amen to that. The corporations drive this bus. Indeed, that is what our uh, Senator Dick Durbin said during the banking crisis of 2008. He said, let's be frank,
0: bankers run this place. You're
6: right. (laughs) And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's corporations that are directly... Benefiting from all of our social ills. I challenge anybody in the Chicago area to come up with one social ill that does not directly benefit a corporation. If we could get rid of these giant corporations today, we would have health care for all. We would have um, uh, better internet service. We would have free cable. We would have free electricity with solar power. We would get rid of pollution so much faster, on and on and
2: on. well you know there's a lot that we can do I don't I think that what we need is reform you need um, you absolutely need uh, you need controls but you know we have someone a young woman who is who can help us to work this through because of course she is in Congress right now so excited uh, and it's wonderful to hear your voice and she can take what she heard from you where are you from Rick
6: neighborhood right in the center of town that's where i grew up and um i moved down to florida back in the beginning of 1994 and um one day i want to come back to chicago but not until the summer
2: okay okay so okay no worries no worries we are glad that you i'm glad that you are listening to us today I'm glad that you're with us today. I am so glad that you're here. But, you know, I've got to bring on Congresswoman Daily Ramirez because I was able to catch her in between all of this stuff that she's doing. Not only is she being oriented into Congress, but I had to grab her almost off the floor, so I've got to talk to her while I can. <laughs> Sending you much love, Rick got to get him back to chicago those taxes down in florida having people leave here congresswoman dalia ramirez let me offer my congratulations we are so proud of you the first latina to represent a midwestern state in the history of the republic and how are your parents first and foremost
4: good morning Santita. uh yes and greetings from washington dc and our capital my parents are doing well Uh, They are sad they didn't get a chance to personally, physically be here when I got sworn in at 2 a.m. on Friday, but they certainly were here for a couple of days and they're doing really well. Honey, we all
2: had to leave. I love you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You
4: you love us, but you you also got stuff to go go do back in Chicago. I totally get it. We left Friday
2: afternoon. Yeah, we caught you on we caught yeah. you on the bus that we were on at like <laughs> two right. o'clock in the morning. So congratulations <laughs> to you! What an exciting week you have had! Just very quickly, what have you learned anything since you've been up there? Because I know you all were being oriented uh, up at Harvard at the Kennedy School, uh, rigorous yeah. orientation that you've had. But now you're on the Hill. Now you're there. Now you're in the chamber. What does that feel like? undescribable. And I will say to you that one of those
4: things about learning, we all joke, we're still trying to figure out how to get through the tunnels and what's the quickest way to get from one office building to the Capitol to vote just in time. And, you know, how do you settle in as you're stepping up in communications? It's a combination of many things, but let me also tell you that. Because it got dragged out so long, right, this process of finally electing a speaker and therefore getting sworn in, it only took him 15 times, right? Um, It it meant that there was a lot of legislative work that had to hold off. So this has been a really long week of legislative work.
2: Mm -hmm. What do you hope to amplify. It's 400 you get there and all of you it's interesting. as I've spoken to Congressman Jackson about it. He said, you know, it's even though, you know, you have Republicans and Democrats in the room, he said, you know, there's a basic respect even when people don't get don't get together in the mobs one on one, you get on because you all went through the same thing to get there. You, know, you could be appointed to the Senate, but you got to run for that House seat. And that's it's right. A, so, that's right. You know, and it's, so there's a kind of even, there's a grudging even respect sometimes for everybody who's who's in that house. What have you learned uh, since you've been there?
4: You know, I, I've learned so much, right? I mean, joking me around, I've learned how to get to the Capitol from my office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny. It's funny because so many... Wait a minute, That's not a effort. joke. That, that's no, no, it really isn't. A number of the freshman members, we joke about from caucus to our office. We walk together just to make sure that we finally get to our office uh, without a thirty-minute, uh, you know, running around the Capitol trying to find how to get to Longworth or Cannon or Rayburn. But, but I, I would say to you, look. One of the, the biggest lessons here also is the importance of those like-minded people that have been elected to Congress who came here, number one, to protect and uplift working families, to stick together, to, to look at the legislation, to look at what Republicans are proposing, what we are proposing in resolutions, and figure out ways to do this work collaboratively. Very, very clear. I think Rick couldn't have said it more, more clearly corporations in this place attempt to control every single vote. Uh, In many ways, every single thing you've seen Republicans come up and talk about uh, this past week has been about taking rights from women, Mm -hmm. taking rights from working class families and providing themselves more power so that they can help corporate gain. So this week has been a week of no votes, to be honest. 15 times voting no for McCarthy. But that wasn't just it. Saying no to rules packages that make it easier for insurrectionists like Matt Gaetz and Marjorie Green Taylor to take over our Congress uh, to introduce legislation or resolutions that really will harm our everyday people and our people of color. Um no to bills that are going to gut the IRS, making it even easier for ultra wealthy billionaires to dodge tax fairness and and get all the tax loopholes they already have. No to GOP resolutions to continue to exacerbate Asian hate crimes. No to GOP witch hunt committees to waste taxpayer dollars while they're attacking Democrats. And no an anti-choice legislation that would be harmful to our health care workers, uh, for people who are making personal family decisions on their future and their family. So it's been truly a journey and a realization that the next two years, Santita, are going to be extremely difficult. But we must be working together, fighting like hell for our working families as Republicans attempt to do everything possible to destroy them.
2: Is there any pathway for you to make headway for, say, you know, there is a tie between immigration and farming and the family farm, and corporate farms, <laughs> which are, you know, now Bill Gates owns more land than anybody. Is uh-huh. what is there a pathway is there a way is there any conversation um that you can have well not just well not just within the democratic caucus because if, if you don't if you 're not in one of these farming states you don't i mean you know we respond to what it is that we that we live around uh, is there any pathway to help um people see the the real pain that our family farmers are in? I mean, you know, we saw during COVID, yeah. at the height of the pandemic, they were saying, "Look, we've got food, we just can't get it from the fields to even the street." <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and we've and we've got the farm workers who are struggling. I mean, can that's you can right. you speak to that? Because this is what we do in this part of the country. We farm. No, that's that's
4: absolutely right. Look the I think surprise to some. But when I was in the Illinois Legislature. And one of my proudest moments was um, to become part of a program called the Adopt a Legislative Program with the Illinois Farm Bureau. And when the Farm Bureau asked me as a freshman in the state legislature, you know, if you'd partner with us, where would you want to go? I said to them, take me the furthest from Chicago, downstate Illinois, where there is a growing migrant community that is ensuring that we have food on our table and really working with farms. And and I wanna make sure that I am assigned to that area so that I can one advocate for our migrant workers but really have a clear understanding of what's happening to our farmers every single day. Where am I, where was I? I was a, legislator adopted by Lawrence County, Illinois, the most Southern Eastern part of the state of Illinois, where Mary Miller is the Congresswoman and Darren Bailey was the state Senator. Gentita, I could not have found more commonalities in the farmers and the people that I talked to there that I could have as I talked to Latino people about the challenges or our own people here in Chicago there in Chicago about challenges on economic development challenges on workforce you know difficulties with housing stability I found so much in common with folks that are struggling every single day to make sure that their farms are up and running and are able to get the food right to our to our to our neighborhoods to our stores And what I find is that agriculture perhaps is the one thing that we can find some kind of commonality around. Workforce and farming right now is truly a crisis. And while you see immigrant families being scapegoated through Republican jargon and talking points, it is the migrant workers that are keeping these farms open in many of our states. And I think this is a place where we could have some real conversations about where we could work together, if there is a place to work together.
2: Mm. We're talking with Congresswoman Dalia Ramirez, newly elected Congresswoman, endorsed by Bernie Sanders, Chui Garcia, Congressman Chui Garcia, who's number one, according to most polls, as we go into this mayoral race. Um, And we're talking with her about what she hopes to amplify, the issues that she hopes to amplify and maybe work across the aisle, as you did. I mean, as you said, no, 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 take me away from Chicago (laughs) when you were state representative. (laughs) I want to see how the, <laughs> how the state lives, because that it, did, when right. you did that, did that enable you to say, okay, well, maybe I can talk to someone who might be Republican, who might be from downstate, who might think Chicago's a big bad, big, bad wolf, and maybe we can find points of commonality. Does that really work? Shantina, as crazy as it sounds,
4: to an extent it does. So, you know, when I say that to you, I went down to Lawrence County at least five times um, in my time in the legislature. And then I've had annual dinners with them around Christmas to really talk about how we are catching up. But I didn't just go there. I asked the farmers to come to Chicago. I asked them to come to Humboldt Park, to Westtown, to Wicker Park, to Ukrainian Village, to Belmont Craig and to Avondale. And it was so important and eye-opening for them to also farmers that perhaps only came to Chicago once a year for the Illinois Farm Bureau annual conference to not just go downtown Chicago to come to our neighborhood to come to Humble Park in belmont Cragin and really see the challenges of our everyday people of our immigrant communities of housing and security because increased rent and what they said to me was I never Really understood when folks talked about debating the challenges of Chicago. Really, what some of those are until you brought us into your neighborhood. Mm. And it's so important we do that mutual connection. And in some cases, you know, uh, one of the one of my my closest friends in Lawrence County, Glenn and Dennis, two two farmers, one grows soybeans and other grows corn. He said, I've never really had a conversation about immigration with a dreamer until I talked to her husband here in Lawrence County. And it started changing the faith for them, how we talk about immigration. We have to be courageous enough to see humanity and start having real conversations out of a place of compassion. And yes, mm-hmm. still out a place of courage to stand up for our people.
2: What about housing? I mean, you see Karen Bass, who was the former head of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, one of, in fact, she was on the short list for vice president for President Biden's uh, vice presidential uh, candidates. Well, now she's mayor of Los Angeles, and she said, "My top, top, top." Initiative will be dealing with housing. Everyone knows that California, from the Ruta to the Tudor, from Northern California to Southern California, is extremely expensive. And now, Chicago's extremely expensive. Detroit is, as it comes back, it's squeezing poor people out. And we go on and on and on. What do we do about the unhoused? Is there is there yeah. anything that you think, any movement we might be able to make on that?
4: You know... I talked to you a lot about the nose this week. What I didn't tell you about was one of, some of that internal work that I've had an opportunity to start with, doing with, with a number of my colleagues. Uh, leading the forefront this week on this have been Congressman Bowman, Jamal Bowman out of New York, and Senator Elizabeth Warren that we all know out of Massachusetts, two areas uh, that also see the housing crisis that we're living in. We drafted a letter to the Biden administration really talking about housing crisis and the importance for us to prioritize the work we do through the administration certainly given where we are with our congress to really protect our renters protect our families who are experiencing homelessness so there's a letter that we drafted with a number of recommendations but here's the thing Santita, you said it the price gouging we are seeing from developers from 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 some of these people who in this pandemic received directly right from the federal government rent the 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 dollars from the rent relief program and now that the rent relief has gone away are now telling their tenants well you know you can't pay the two thousand that you were paying but now it's time to renew the lease and i need you to pay 2500 This is the quickest way of displacement of people, and we are seeing more people at risk of homelessness than we have ever seen before. So in that letter that we sent to the administration, we said we have to do something to really address the rent gouging we're seeing across the country. We have to also figure out what we're doing around rent protection. The number of people that are seeing themselves now in court. Um, and and there, there are things about not being able to pay rent, but there's also all sorts of other loopholes that are evicting people. And, and look, I'm in Washington, D.C., no. a block from the Capitol. I see tent cities and people literally on the concrete trying to build up their tent because they can't afford to live in D.C., If we don't have housing security, we can't possibly believe that our children are able to learn in the right conditions you know when they're going to school because we know that the fastest-growing community that's addressing homelessness is families. The average age is really 10 years old, not 65. That we can't really address health care. There's an intersection between housing, health care, education,
2: mental health, and safety.
4: It has to be a priority for us.
2: She's my congresswoman, too. How about that? <laughs> congresswoman Dalia Ramirez. Oh, I'm claiming you. Yes, I am. That's right. <laughs> you know, you're my girl. Made me lose my composure on the Capitol, but I was so glad to see you there wearing that <laughs> pen. Yes, I did. And my father looked at us like we were both nuts. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and it was so good to see you. I had gone through four days of, you know, a lot, lots of craziness in that house floor. It was so good to see a
2: familiar face that I love so much. So it was perfect. Well, I love you. And know that this show and this station, we are your home. Whenever you want to put issues out there, amplify an issue, just call us. Call us in the middle of the show. And we'll bring you on. You know that. Thank you, Santita. I'm looking forward to it. And give Aaron and Faye and the whole crew all my love. (laughs) I sure will. I sure will. We'll talk very, very soon. Oh, absolutely. Congresswoman Dalia Ramirez, everybody, making history, making change. Dr. Max Wolf in just a few minutes on the Santita Jackson Show. Come on, board operator. Let's get out of here.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
0: Hey
2: everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you on WCBT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station hosting the January 6th mayoral debate. On all of our platforms, Patty Vasquez, Joe Esposito, Santita Jackson, we will all be moderating that discussion with the candidates. You don't want to miss it, everybody. It's going to be fantastic. Can you believe it's been four years already since Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, took office? Well, you know, we might have a runoff. But the voting is in February. That's right. So we are on top of it here on WCPT and AM 950 Radio, my home in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sending all of you much love on this Thursday on this Thursday, January 12, 2020. How does I was about to say? 2022. It was 2023. So, let's talk about inflation, everybody. I mean, just we just spoke with uh, Congresswoman Delia Ramirez, the first Latina to go to Congress from the Midwest, as she's looking at the unhoused, the economic insecurity that we're all facing, as she's looking at the the challenges facing our farmers, from the people who work on the farms to the people, the family farmers who own Them, You know, economic insecurity is driving so much of the social unrest, and it's not a surprise. It was predicted that this would happen some years ago. And we're looking at inflation. Uh, Inflation is expected to have declined in December, but still people are feeling it. Dr. Max Wolf, of course, he is here every Thursday at 730. And so I want you to talk to us as we're watching the employment rate fall but according to this Forbes article job quality job quality is deteriorating. The Fed says okay we're going to adjust the interest rates it's going to drive unemployment, but we'll get better. How do we get better with fewer people working? Where do you want to begin today? You said you're going to start with some good news.
3: It can have big month-to-month changes. So if you take it out, you get the sort of a trend, the smoother version of where things are headed, and so they often do that. The hope was that inflation would be very low or negative month over month. And in fact, it was. So month over month. However, people should keep in mind, that's November to December, not December to January, right? We won't have that. So this is always kind of backward-looking by a month or so. So it is backward-looking information, but we have seen a real slowing of inflation. Partly, unfortunately, as you mentioned before, that's because the wages really didn't keep up when the prices surged. So wages did increase, but they didn't increase as much as prices. And so you can can see that a lot of households across the income spectrum, by the way, are having a lot of hard times in terms of matching what things cost, often the same things they've historically bought uh, against their earnings. And that takes different forms with wealthier and poorer people. But it's really slammed into the housing market, those interest rates and a little bit of a Sense of foreboding about the economic future here, and it certainly hit purses and pocketbooks and been the cause of lots of stressful, difficult decisions and conversations around dinner tables or, or, or wherever people have those chats in their house. And so we can see that partly in surging levels of debt on credit cards and some other instruments and in a number of other areas. So we can see this is a rates hit pretty hard, but because the wages didn't keep up, it does take some of the wind out of the sail. So between raising the interest rates, which the Fed has done to slow the economy, and wages not keeping up, uh, you know, things have begun to really slow down. Again, to your also point you made, we learned last Friday that the employment picture remained pretty strong. So we're sitting at around three and a half percent headline unemployment. Um, lots of issues with how we measure that, but that notwithstanding, that's about as low as it's been in 50 years.
2: We're talking with Dr. Max Wolf about inflation, about inflation. I mean, now eggs, Dr. Wolf, you don't know, have to put it down here where the goats can get it. Eggs are out of reach. Increasingly, people cannot afford housing to rent, let alone purchase a home. Um, and we're not able to buy, like, eggs, groceries. I mean, this is. And I, I, I don't see anyone really. I don't don't see anyone speaking to that Because people are hurting out here These are are not just numbers You know, on a page, these are people
3: And look, obviously some people Have a job or a life Where eggs are a really big portion of their spend But almost everybody The largest item they spend on is their housing Right, so housing is going to be About 30-40% of people's budgets It's a huge chunk of the budget And you know Outside of some special cases, eggs are not going to be 1% of the budget. So the impact on the country and a lot of households of eggs, while it's meaningful, and probably heavy psychological value to them, feeling unable to afford basic protein and, or teach your kids healthy food and stuff is a big deal. But the percentage of your spend that goes to eggs, again, I'm sure there are some special cases, but generally the percentage that goes to eggs versus a percentage that's gonna go to living inside, is gonna be way off in favor of living inside. And living inside is unaffordable for most people in the United States because the interest rates were so low for so long. Because when people buy a house, they say, what can I afford, and they don't tend to break down the portion of it that's the interest payment on the house and the portion of it that's the price of the house. So if it's cheaper on the interest side, they just buy more house. Mm -hmm. And people have been doing that basically for 25 years. So it's created a lot of dislocations in the housing market. And again, it's always really the wages too. For, for working Americans, the bottom 70% or so, 80% of Americans, so about four out of five. Where their wages are against cost is what matters, not just cost. Right? So if your wages are going up 10% and the price of eggs is going up 8%, eggs are cheaper every year, right? Even though the actual sticker price of eggs is up, but if you're earning more each year by a larger increase on the eggs, you kind of come out ahead, right? It's the same reason that buying gas is traumatic to everybody, but it's meaningful to lower-income people and people with long commutes. Yes, right because because it's just the way it filters into our lives is different. One reason that we spend a lot of time studying housing is that that really doesn't vary much. So for almost everyone, even pretty affluent people, housing is just this monumentally large piece of the spend, whether that's a rent or a mortgage, right? And then the other issue we've had is that rents have really gone up. Right? And that's for a of reasons.
2: I need you to answer this question for me because you have a lot of discussions. Um, some of them factual, some of them not. But there certainly is a lot of speculation. <laughs> what? I have some factual well,
3: conversations you... now? Oh, Wow. Okay. Cool.
2: Well, you know what I don't do? I don't. I don't use the term conspiracy theorist only because I know it was. It was constructed by the CIA to stop dissent behind the Kennedy assassination and behind the King assassination and Malcolm X's assassination and Robert Kennedy. Whenever you, de- whenever you deviate from a standard line. You know, you're you are you're not called a dissenter, you're called a conspiracist, which is insulting to me. But, you know, but a lot of people coming up with a lot of different theories. But just help us start here. What is the Federal Reserve? Who are they? And what role do they play in inflation? Because everyone goes hog wild when the head of the Fed says, look, um, I'm going to have to hike the interest rates and that's going to hike unemployment, That, but that's going to make us better. And people are like, huh? The Fed, sure. what is it?
3: So the Federal Reserve is about 110 years old and it's been the focus of intense and sometimes really creative, if a little bit off, conspiracies from the very beginning. Even if the term conspiracy theory had to wait 60 years in the life of the Fed, uh, it's was certainly happening, whatever it means around the Fed. So look, most countries have a central bank and that central bank regulates the financial parts of the economy, principally the cost of borrowing money, right? I, I like to teach this, I teach it the price of renting money. So all an interest rate is, is the rental cost of money. I think that calms this conversation down for people. Like we know that rent is what it costs someone else's apartment for a while right? And to use someone else's money for a while. And wages are what it costs to use someone else's mental and physical efforts for a while. Mm. You're not used to hearing it this way, but they're all just prices, right? Interest rates are price. rent is a price, wages are a price, right?
0: Mm.
3: So what the Federal Reserve's job is, is to be the central bank of the United States. For a host of reasons, we often have conspiracy theories or elaborate ideas, not all of them factually based, of what governments do and we're uncomfortable with governments. So we were a little bit late to having a modern central bank, doing this only in the beginning years of the 1900s, around 1913, 1914, and we didn't call it the Bank of the United States, even though everybody else kind of does that. There's a Bank of England, the Bank of China, Central Bank of Germany, the Bank of France, which kind of gives you a hint, right? For a host of reasons, we call it the Federal Reserve Bank and it's quasi-public and quasi-private. We have a sort of elaborate, more market-oriented version, but it is still our central bank. Because it is our central bank, it has some core functions, and it has regional offices, 13 of them, around the U.S., right, it's headquartered in D.C., but the main office is in New York, because New York is the banking and financial capital of the United States very much so historically, and it's still true. And the Bank of New York, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, does two things all the other banks don't. They conduct all the international interactions between the U.S. Central Bank and other central banks, and they do all the market interactions, buying and selling bonds, principally, um, in the markets, which are also based in New York, right? So there's, there's regional banks, there's a headquarters, the 12 regional banks, there's a headquarters, and what they do is they determine how much money is in circulation. So you have a cheat sheet about what the Federal Reserve does, I hope, anyway, in your wallet or in your pants pocket, which is every single dollar bill, $5 bill, $10 bill, $20 bill, $50 bill, $100 bill, says across the top Federal Reserve note. What you call cash is actually a Federal Reserve note. And mm. only the Federal Reserve has the right to destroy that note, those notes, or to create those notes. And in so doing, they influence the supply of money in circulation. So every piece of of money you've ever had, unless it was counterfeited, was made by the Federal Reserve. And even if it was counterfeited, unless it was made with a crayon, it'll say Federal Reserve note across the top. And that's what it actually is. You just call it cash money, okay? So they determine is in circulation and they set benchmark interest rates. They say, this is about what it should cost to borrow. And they do that because they give the lowest interest rate to banks, the banks can borrow from them at a low rate and then lend to the public at a much higher rate, right? So banks can borrow now at about 3%, 3.5%, and obviously anyone who's listening who's gone looking for a loan probably hasn't seen that kind of number for a while, right? Um, and, and the Federal Reserve set this up to set a benchmark to influence the amount of money in circulation to set what it costs to rent money. If it's cheaper to rent money, people rent more money and they buy things, consumers, or they invest in businesses and hire more people. If it becomes more expensive to borrow money, then people buy less, businesses spend less, and the economy contracts gets smaller, and one form that takes is generally at least less hiring and often Headcount reductions uh, or people losing their jobs, and so an unemployment rate that
1: would go up.
2: Hmm. So when we, so when they say that they're hiking interest rates and more people, as a result, will be unemployed, how does that work? I mean, how do we have a how do we have an economy that could conceivably work better with fewer people working, people who need money?
3: Or
0: am I no, misreading
3: we'll no, this is where it gets a little more tricky. So the Federal Reserve doesn't hire and fire people, they set right. the price of money, and, and firms, you know, private for-profit industry, respond to those prices, right? But part of what's sitting behind all this is modern economics, and modern economics is the theory that prices order behavior. If I want to change the behavior of a group of people, one way to do that is to change the prices. Right? If I want people to do more of something, I lower the price if they're gonna buy it. If I want them to do less of something, I raise the price, right? So think of it, partly what happens when you raise the interest rate is you're raising the price of building a new factory or adding a new office or buying a new building. And so those things will, will happen a bit less. And that will translate into the economy as less employment growth or unemployment. It could be either, right? It could be what they're trying to do is slow the demand for labor so that there isn't firing, but that there's a lower pace of hiring. But historically, when you try to slow the pace of something, you run the risk of stopping it or reversing it. And often the Federal Reserve has had that issue. They've tried to come in to slow down an economy, and they've slowed it more than to zero, right? So if you slow hiring, you could slow it to zero, so that means it, you it know, stays the same, or you can slow it beyond that, and then you actually have a contraction. The the most controversial part of your question, there is no answer for by the way. So when you say, hey, it this make the economy better? It makes prices more stable. And the Federal Reserve of the United States has a twin mandate, two things it's supposed to do by constitutional charter. Price stability, which means prevent there being runaway inflation or heavy inflation, and prevent deflation, which is also problematic when prices fall, right? So keep price stability, and, this is the interesting part of the dual mandate, try to keep us at or close to full employment. So we're supposed to maximize the, or keep as high as possible the price stability and the number of employed people. And it gets kind of dicey when those two things are at, could be at cross purposes, right? And whether it's better for the economy to have more inflation but have lower unemployment or not. like Is price stability more important than unemployment? Honestly, that depends on who you ask. We don't know for sure. And it's not clear, but it's very clear that it affects different segments of society differently. Unemployment tends to hit lower income people quite a bit harder, right? Although price instability is bad for people in general as well, including older people on fixed income and anyone whose wages don't keep up with the price increases. So they're both problematic. It's just which is worse probably depends on who you ask in terms of who in the society and also which economists. There isn't a clear answer to that in economics. Although there is the following, which has been under the sort of so-called neoliberal era, there's been a heavy preference to keep inflation really low at the cost of higher unemployment. And that has coincided with rising inequality.
2: Can fair employment and full employment coexist?
3: Well, so the problem with that is, and this is not to be critical of a good question, it is not really clear in economics what either of those terms means, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So in other words, if you tell me, like, how many ounces are, are, are you know, in a pound, we can kind of have a conversation, and we kind of have an answer to work toward, right? But if you tell but, you me— know, and,
2: and that, to me, is, is a problem employment. in economics, that fare, which is, you know, to me, livable wages, prosperity wages, um, because it, my father often says, look, in slavery, we had full employment. So I think we have to have a bigger goal than full employment because in slavery you've got that. And with indentured servants, you, you have full employment. You know, people out here can't get their kids to, they're having to choose between driving to work and driving their kids to school.
3: Right. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. this, We're economy to is just function.
2: not working for most Americans right now. It's just not.
3: Agreed, agreed. So when they say full employment, just for the record, it tends we tend to constrict it to voluntary employment. <laughs> so I think there is a big difference between <laughs> voluntary and involuntary employment. I, I know, obviously, I'm sure we agree. Just, just uh, the point is, it's not that I don't you're trying. No,
2: because I don't know the mass resignation kind of. Uh, People said, I'm not going back to what I and what I left before the pandemic,
3: right? Right, but there's a standoff because mm-hmm. the notion of a sort of bad work environment, low-paid job is, I can starve you out, sucker. These are the terms. And the general public is, well, I'm getting used to being hungry. That's called a standoff, right? Mm. And that is in the context of some kind of voluntary labor. Now, there can be an effort to make it involuntary. Right? So what I'm saying may sound very conservative to people because they're not used to this framing of it, but it's actually just policy economics. So think of it this way. If I'm right and carve them out or win better terms is the big struggle. I mean, that's also called class struggle by some people. It's a feature of a market economy with inequality. Might make some people uncomfortable to say that. It's not interesting that it's going on, right? It's a fact. We can call it all kinds of different things, but it's a fact. And then the other thing is, think about the questions it asks, which you're not used to. It's policy economics, which means every effort that cut workers' protections or wages, is an effort to force you into lower wages and worse conditions, right? And every effort to raise those conditions, not just for you, but for everybody in the labor market, strengthens your hand. And that's a way to understand these debates about austerity that you're about to see. Because that's what's coming, right? That is a feature of an economy where, does it work for the average person, this is not to give it, you know, put words in anyone's mouth, I don't think that's a question on a lot of policymakers' lips.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm not saying there are not, there are folks who do say this, and there are folks who've said this a long time, and plenty of, of folks to, to admire for their courage on the subject. But generally, labor and industrial policy and work policy in the United States, I think you'd be hard put to show that, hey, does this work for the average person is an acid test that's normally applied. Does this work to keep profits up? Does this work to keep growth up? Those tend to be more of the decisions, right? And and again, that depends on who you ask. Who sits at the table and asks the questions always has more than a little bit to do with what questions get asked, right? This is the argument, I think, for inclusion.
2: Absolutely. I mean, because I'm trying to figure out how we can grow the economy and... and and grow people and in prosperity as as well. It just seems like that's never been quite um, factored in. And um, uh, well, just uh, who do we have very quickly? Because I know I've got about two and a half minutes. Well, let's just bring up let's bring up our caller. Is it Ted?
3: Hey, good morning. Good morning, you guys. I, I know this is i kind of looking from above, but here are three things I predict you're going to see, because really all uh,
2: i got inside of a minute for you, Ted. Stay right. Okay. Go on.
3: All right. Here are the three... The, the powers that be know that we need more people to compete with China. So you are going to see lip service to immigration, but you're going to see people continue to be let in because we need them. You're going to see fights against abortion because we need those people. You're going to see fights to take away Social Security because we need those people. Everybody needs to go back into the work pool for us
1: to compete against China. That is what I believe those at the top then can see.
2: Hold on. Stay right there, Ted. I've got about a minute and a half. Doctor. Dr. Wolf, what do you think?
3: It's an interesting theory. Certainly none of us know the answer. I think that Chinese sort of polity and economy is going through some pretty major changes and convulsions now, a sudden shift in COVID policy, major shifts in, in trade policy. Um, I certainly hope on some level that, that, that TED is correct, that there's a big demand for labor. TED, to be the view from where I sit, it doesn't mean that I know more than anyone else, um, is that there's another mass wave of AI-based mechanization coming. And while I do think competing with China is front and center, I think Ted is 100% right on that, I think we're going to need fewer people to run the economy the way we've run it historically uh, because of technology. And so I think it's much more exciting for me to think about what freeing those people up to be productive, to fix the environment, to take care of each other, because we certainly have done a terrible job at taking care of each other and the environment to the point of now real social unrest and psychological damage. So I think there's a lot we could do with that labor, but I think we're going to have to figure out social priority. And there, I do think the social priority will be disciplining labor, unfortunately. Um, And I think there's going to be, we're in the beginning innings of a long, bitter fight here about working conditions and wages.
2: Well, you know, and I think, and getting our philosophies together, because indeed, uh, one of my listeners, Tommy Smith, points out that, you know, John Kennedy, our president... Uh, who was murdered in the middle of the street, was pushing back against the Fed. I mean, there's just, there are a lot of questions. That's why I said I wanted to, you know, one day I want you to come on and talk about that, because he, in the June before he was killed, said that he wanted to expose these secret counsels in that incredible speech that he gave at American University. And so, you know, there are a lot of questions, and I'm so glad that we have someone so compassionate, so brilliant so skilled in the economic space Dr. Maxwell I'm going to be on you until you write that book how about that